Hello and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. Tensions between Wagner Contract Company and the Russian government finally came to a head. Wagner's Evgeny Pogrosian committed acts of treason and insurrection. Russia stared into the abyss. Thankfully, a compromise was found and crisis averted. Are there lessons to be learned? To discuss these issues and more, I'm joined by my guests, Martin Jay in Marrakesh. He's an award-winning journalist and commentator. And in Budapest, we crossed to George Samueli. He's a podcaster at The Gaggle, which can be found on YouTube and Locals. All right, gentlemen, crosstalk rules. In effect, that means you can jump anytime you want, and I always appreciate it. All right, let's start out with George in, in Budapest. Well, one heck of a weekend. Let's put it that way, gentlemen. Um, I don't want to go over all what happened, the events. People know what they are right now. What the upshot is, is that Pogrosian has been amnestied in the sense that he's not going to be charged for serious crimes of insurrection and treason. Uh, we had the good services and offices of the Russian president, Lukashenko, um, offering a compromise. Uh, Pogrosian will go into what we, I suppose is called exile. I'm not sure what's going to happen to his assets and his companies and all of that. And... The uh, his fighters, a part of the Wagner group, um, those that did not participate in the uh, insurrection will um, be dealt with uh, um, in a normal fashion, probably given a contract within the military. But George, the significance of what happened over what thirty six hours is huge. Your thoughts? Well, it's very hard to uh, absorb uh, so much information um, of the past thirty six hours. Um, one can see uh, right away who's celebrating and uh, who's uh, worrying. Uh, the Western media, Western uh, governments, Western politicians, you know, they're all rejoicing. So uh, Rigozhin, who is uh, purports to be a patriotic Russian, wants to, uh, you know, do what's right for Russia, do what's best for Russia. Um, is this what he set out to do? That there, that there are high fives going around in, in the uh, in the Western capitals, and let's remember the uh, goal as far as NATO was concerned. I mean, we, we we've said this many many times here and at the gaggle. Uh, the goal wasn't really Ukraine or or achieving anything for Ukraine. The goal was regime change in Russia. The goal was to get Putin out and to uh, put, push Russia into internal turmoil. So NATO and the West will have achieved at least that goal partially. I mean, what, what happened this weekend? Um, and this will only encourage them further. I mean, they will have seen that um, Moscow looks weak. Uh, Putin makes a, a declaration to the nation. This is treason. This is a stab in the back. Uh, we cannot tolerate this. Uh, and you know, in the end, yeah, he tolerated it. Uh, yes, Rigozhin is gone, he's in exile, but that's in Belarus. I mean, that's next door. Uh, mm -hmm. Does anyone really believe that uh, he's now going to shut up and, you know, and... Uh, well, there is such a thing as the union state also. It's a uni yeah, it's a union state. I don't think he's going to retire and, you know, and make sandwiches and, you know, go back to catering for rich people. Um, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to go on issuing uh, his videos, uh, issuing all manner of uh, statements, uh, and then there's going to be a, a problem of how to deal with it. Um, 
you know, as, as I've said before, I think that the longer this war drags on, the more such problems are going to arise. And I don't, I don't think this problem uh, with Prigozhin has been solved yet. Martin, but the, you know, it's, from, from my point of view, I'm glad there was, that this incident has come to an end because of past experiences. When I'm thinking of 1917 and the collapse of the, of the Russian state. Um, but nonetheless, it was averted. It has been resolved, at least temporarily. Um, I, I, I would have preferred uh, a perp walk in handcuffs. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, a, I'm old school that way. But then again, it has been resolved in, to the point where there wasn't bloodshed. But the ramifications, and George was um, um, getting close to it, is that you know, when you take up arms against the state, that is the probably the most serious crime you can commit, and it's being washed over. That is problematic, Martin. Yeah, and we would imagine, we would assume, if you if you indulge yourself with the narrative of Western media, we would assume that Putin, being the hard man, would come down like a ton of bricks on this guy and anybody else. But in fact, I think. I'm really putting my head on the block here for the for Twitter haters, but I actually think that Putin came through it as as quite cool-handed and quite measured and quite um, a leader. I mean, leaders, by definition, good leaders, leaders of superpowers, usually don't flinch when a crisis emerges. They handle it, and that's why they're there. That's why they're at the top, and that's why they stay in power for, what is it, 23 years. You know, there was a crisis yesterday. I don't think it was an attempted coup. I think we all got a bit too excited with that. I think it, the word coup, coup d'etat is probably wrong. I think the proper French cliche, if we want to go down that route, is coup de théâtre. It was a drama. And I think it was a drama very well orchestrated um, by uh, Prigozhin. I think he prepared it. I think he, he knew all the steps in advance. There was, no, um, there was no making it up as you go along. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. And I don't think he intended to go to Moscow. I think he, he knew that there'd be some sort of a negotiation somewhere halfway up the M4, but there are lessons learned. And I think, you know, we should reflect on this. And I hope Mr. Putin and his advisors are reflecting on it, that we don't have a stringent, stoic um, level of accountability on the Russian side so much. You know, there's been a bit of um, outrage, a bit of hue and cry with um, TV personalities who have criticized what's gone on, but they haven't come up with the detail. They haven't come up with a real professional um, level of opprobrium, um, militarily speaking. And I think this is actually quite a good thing. What's, what's the big deal of this guy being in, um, in Belarus? Um, I think he will do a lot of videos now. I think he would probably do them daily. You know, he'll be the, sort of pro he'll be the professional irritant of the, um, of the military and uh, of the military strategy. I don't think that's such a bad thing. You know, I think it might be quite good. I mean, I hope Putin at least has the decorum to take a step back and reflect on some of the points this guy raised. That would be a real tragedy if he didn't do that. You know, that there were, let's say, um, uh, uh, gray areas. Um, there were um, uh, mistakes made. Well, let, let, let's just say, let's say it right out front, you know, all three of us, okay? Um, there's a lot of people that don't have to go and fight, okay? Uh, they're yeah. protected. Young people, they're driving their little fancy cars for mommy and daddy, and, you know, it creates umbrage. I mean, let's be honest about it, okay? Let's also, it, let's also be honest. Let's, let's also be honest about wars. Um, mistakes happen. You know, mistakes do happen. Friendly fire does happen. 
um, in the panic of wars. You know, people do make mistakes. Communication lines get cut off temporarily. Technology lets you down, and you do shell your own people. Happened a lot in the Iraq War, you know, um, which I didn't go to, but I saw a bit of it in Afghanistan as well, of American soldiers talking about friendly fire. So it happens in Russia as well. It happens on the front line. But I think the takeaway, the really interesting takeaway for me, is is the fact that Ukraine just and the West and NATO just basically froze and 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 indulged themselves in this old adage of Napoleon, I think it was. He says, uh, when, when your uh, enemy is fighting amongst itself, don't interrupt them, you know. And I think, and that shows you a lot about where we are in the war, because if you're talking about something like 25,000 troops removed from a particular area of that front line, surely the uh, military strategists on NATO would be saying, hey, there's an opportunity now. You really should move now. Now is the time. You know, this is a... This is a Normandy, D-Day, Beaches kind of a scenario here where you've got a window of weather on your side. In this case, it was a military um, uh, logistics. Well, it, from what I understand, that regular Russian servicemen had um, uh, replaced that part of the frontier. George, you, you mentioned something I think is very interesting, is that, um, you know, inside the Beltway and, you know, in Brussels, there was the... Um, uh, um, uh, muffled laughter, you know, about uh, the Russia's travails and all that. But Pogrosian is, you know, you know, the way Putin is always described as this, you know, uh, authoritarian, hard guy. And all, but Pogrosian is to the right, and he's a populist right, okay? And I don't think, you know, the 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 ideological processes were very uh, didn't percolate very well because it's essentially it's bad because Russia is having problems, but they really don't um, they they don't really want to analyze. How much further right Pogrosian is when when he when you look at his rhetoric, George? No, that's uh, right. And of course, remember, Prigozhin has for years been a kind of a bête noir um, of uh, the West. I mean, as, as far as I remember, I, mean, I think he has been labeled as a terrorist organization by the uh, United States government. Um, I remember he was blamed for the 2016 election that he that he interfered and helped uh, Trump win. So it's certainly very peculiar the the sudden embrace of uh, uh, Prigozhin. But for the Western governments, they just want chaos. Uh, they yeah. they feel that this is we're going to go back to the 1990s, and uh, and you know, you know once once Putin can be pushed out, then you know the, the, you know there's no obvious successor waiting in the wings, and then you know all all hell breaks loose. And that's really the Western uh, policy. I mean, they're not. You know, it is the empire of chaos. I mean, they just like you know, if it's if it's chaos, then it's good for us. And I think that's why they they were you know gleeful about uh, what's happened. And I think this will encourage them. They 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 say, look, you know, it's it's as we thought. Putin's a lot weaker uh, than than we had suspected. And uh, you know, there's Michael McFall. I mean, he's he's been doing his usual uh, Twitter storm and saying, well. Putin has always backed down. You know, every time anyone has confronted him, he's always backed down. You know, look what happened with uh, Turkey in 2015, and so on. And um, and that's that is going to be uh, the perception. And I and I think that um, I, I mean I, I agree with you that look bloodshed was avoided, and that's that's a good thing. And because I think we were fearing yesterday that there was going to be an almighty uh, clash uh, be between the Russian forces and uh, and Wagner. That didn't happen, uh, but. As we move forward, I mean, I think you know Russia really does have to resolve this problem, and I think that this this problem in Ukraine has to be dealt with because I think the frustrations 
within the military uh, is going to grow. I mean, they're going to feel that this this needs to be brought to an end uh, because soon we'll already be commemorating two years since the start of this uh, uh, special military operation. So we have to bring this to an end. Um, one can only hope that that is the conclusion that will be drawn by uh, the Russian leadership. You know, Martin, and we have 30 seconds before we go to the break. I, I like what you said because, you know, with the juxtaposed to what, you know, someone like Michael McBowell showing that Putin is very weak, but you actually say just the, the reverse. He has the capital to be able to make compromises, to go look at nuances and whatnot here. I mean, I, I don't have a definitive um, um, uh, position on all this. I'm still trying to absorb it like the both of you. Real quick before we go to the break. Yeah, I mean, look, it just, I think it boils down to one main thing. Um, yesterday, he had a very stark choice. If he had taken a more aggressive uh, viewpoint towards this mutiny, you know, what was he looking at? He was looking at a situation um, of actually sending Chechen soldiers to Rostov on Don. That would have been a bloodbath. That would have been literally a bloodbath. And where do you where do you go from that bloodbath? Think about the morale in the army. Hold, hold that thought, my friend. We have to go to a hard break, and after that hard break, we'll continue our discussion. Stay with our team. Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lebel. This is the home edition. To remind you, we're discussing some real news. Okay, Martin, let's go back to you. In Marrakesh, uh, we had to, uh, had to go to a hard break. I interrupted your thought. Please continue. So, yeah, I think, so we, we, we looked at the situation there where we could have had a sort of an internal strife, a civil war um, within Russian forces. Putin avoided that. And I think he played it a, a very masterly card and quickly, very, very quickly, worked out a way of actually resolving the issue, diffusing it, and doing, you know, being the, being the, the chief... Politico, the, 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 somebody who shows real leadership and stayed calm under pressure and resolved the crisis. And, you know, imagine all of these opinion writers, all of these experts on CNN, you know, with the garbage they've been writing over the last 24 hours, how they have to backpedal today. Because all of them have been writing words like crisis, uh, empire crumbling, Putin on the edge, facing the abyss, you know, is this the tipping point? And, all of this nonsense, of course, is 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 just that. It's absolute rubbish. Well, I, I'm not going to name names here. I'm going to go to George. No, name them. Name them. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, 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 it's not going to be my, the point. The point is, you know, I was sent in a, a link in the early evening, and it was basically. Pack your bags, Peter. It's over. There are yeah. you know, there's plenty of uh, um, street lamps that they'll probably pick out for you. And it was all oh, this bravado. And I just wrote back, he backed down. He's going into exile. And it was just like silent, okay? Because just what you've both been saying as you come on graciously every single weekend is that the reality, you know, they'll never get in the way of their ideology, okay? And, and but, you know, George, you were saying something um, that we say on our, our Gaggle podcast, and you've said it many times, and I think it's really important is that the initial special military operation was supposed to be done on the cheap, as you would like to say, and I think it's appropriate. You, having the Wagner uh, uh, group was doing it on the cheap, too, and they came back and bit them you-know-where, George. Yeah. Well, I think that's right, and I, and I think that um, uh, it's it clear to the extent that um, you know, any, anything can be clear because we have so little information has been divulged that uh, you know, the Russian government was planning on some very quick 
um, knockout blow uh, to Kiev in the early days of the launch of the so-called special military operations, you know, just force Zelensky into, uh, in, into a change of policy, uh, absolutely intimidate them with that massive force outside Kiev. And, and then it would be something similar to what happened in Czechoslovakia in 1968. That didn't happen. And then once the, um, it, you know, this whole special military operation uh, transformed into essentially a war, then uh, Russia decided not to go down the path of uh, full-scale mobilization, but wanted to do it on the cheap and with uh, people such as uh, Prigozhin. And Prigozhin is really, you know, a, a, a harp back to the era of the 1990s. I mean, these big, powerful oligarchs uh, who amassed a lot of money and a lot of power um, and who could just do all sorts of uh, things for the government. Uh, you know, Roman Abramovich and all the rest of them. You know, Abramovich was also involved in con conducting various operations for uh, the government. And yeah, he, and he lost he, it. And he lost his yacht and football club as a yeah, result. Could, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but but that, but that was it. So they they delegated this to Prigozhin, as you know, they delegated other things to Prigozhin. I mean, the various operations in Syria and uh, in uh, in the Sahel and and so on. But you know, you pay the price. Um, and you know, Prigozhin, like many uh, generals of the past, let all this go to his head. He suddenly realized, hey, I'm I'm bigger and more important than the government that has given me these lucrative contracts. So, yeah, it was, it was no question a disaster was in the making. I mean, it's been for weeks he's been sounding off, denouncing uh, the Russian state, obviously believing himself to be vastly more important than, uh, than anyone else. Yeah, it was, it was bound to end in disaster. You know, it's, it, Martin, George brings up a good point because we've talked many, many times when following the story. This has been months in the making here. You know, why is Bogrosian barking like he is? He's a, personally attacking the, the defense minister, the um, the intelligence apparat. And, you know, and there was no reaction. There was no reaction. It was just something that was said out there. And it was... Um, Within Russian political culture, it's very disrespectful. You don't usually do that type of thing. Right. You usually keep it to yourself. And so a lot of people are really surprised by it. And and I found it, be, it to, be, uh, to be an annoyance because it seemed to be distracting from um, what was at, at hand. And plus, you know, I always kind of fall back on the position. He, he was hired to do a job, okay? And let's be honest here. His fighters took the brunt. Of, of, of bloodletting, okay? But that's what the deal was. That, going back to George's uh, conflict on, on the cheap, you know, you don't want to send boys from Omsk and Tum, uh, um, uh, Lake Baikal and places like that, okay? That was part of the deal. But then again, that showed the class difference. The, the poorest and le least advantage ended up going into Wagner. That, 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 that's what it's revealed here for a lot of people. Mark. We should also, but we should also not forget what Wagner is and who those Wagner folks are. They're mercenaries. So they are paid money to fight. They are professional soldiers. They don't have ethics or ideologies. They're not burdened by any of that nonsense. You know, you mentioned earlier that we had indications, we had clues for a long time. I really, I'm surprised that um, it really, it came to this. I mean, I think probably this this climax, this moment where Putin supposedly looked into the abyss, you know, I think it was probably helped by Western media because, you know, who really seized on those 
um, uh, rather petulant and, and, and colourful videos that Boghossian made. It was really Western media. It was Western journalists, Western analysts who retweeted them, who really um, lent on them and gave them the prominence that probably they shouldn't, they shouldn't have really deserved. Um, but in terms of actually guessing what came next, one of our contributors at Magrebi, a Scottish writer, a brilliant writer called John White, um, actually predicted this a few months ago. He predicted an article that um, there was a, a, some sort of a coup d'etat on the cards, and this, this is the guy who was going to pull it off. So I think the signs were there. I think we lost sight of who he was and what he, what he does and what these mercenaries do. But, you know, he didn't feel that his services and his men's services were, were rewarded correctly. He, didn't, he complained about lack of ammunition um, and about the friendly fire and not having the respect that he believed he needed, he deserved, was merited from the defence minister. And, of course, the defence minister is a key part of this whole row. You know, um, Shoigu was uh, really um, the nemesis of this guy. Shoigu was really the one he had in his, in his, in his sights, in his hairline sights. So um, a lot of it, I think, was down to Western media. If you do what I did yesterday, I don't advise it, but I actually bit the bullet yesterday and put on CNN. And listen to CNN while I did the washing up and various remedial <laughs> tasks around the house. And I was appalled at how the analysts and the academics, the people who I call the white bookshelves, people always have white bookshelves behind them. I don't know why in America, but the academics always have white bookshelves. They seem to be more objective and informed and balanced in how they framed the whole um so-called coup d'etat yesterday, whereas the ex the real experts, the journalists that CNN wheeled out, you know, uh, Ben Nice-But-Dim, Wiedemann, and Nick Patton-Walsh, who just talks and talks and talks forever. Okay, he's a Brit, he's articulate, he has fancy words, you know. Um, but these guys, these journalists, you know, they never went to Russia. They never said once in these long, long, long pieces to camera, according to people I've spoken to, in Russia, according to my sort, we never heard that. All we just hear is, I think this and I think that. And, you know, the cliches stack up and you realise that you're talking to journalists who really haven't got the faintest idea of what's going on in Russia and, and close to Putin. And, 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 and all of these cliches and lies and half-truths and just this, this pack of lies really is fed to people and a lot of it sticks. A lot of it is actually taken oh, in. Uh, oh, absolutely it sticks. I, I mean, wonder how much of that. What, 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 what do you figure? What, what, what do you figure? I wonder how much half the people that were exposed to RussiaGate still believe it. Yeah, but I wonder how much of it actually impacted uh, uh, Prigozhin himself when he made those videos. Yeah, well, 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 George. I mean, you know, we, we can take a step back. I mean, it seemed to me in this, in the, as the events were unfolding up to this weekend, Pogroshin's position was actually being diminished. I mean, Wagner was, uh, the Wagner group was being withdrawn. They had done their job. They, they bled. Um, they, got, they got a lot of kudos from the public. I mean, it was very interesting watching over the last uh, 36 hours, these telegram channels that worshipped him, and they had to tie themselves into a huge pretzel trying to figure out how to explain this, okay? And and it was it and and then I, I agree with Martin. I think you know it's just kind of flaming out with knowing somehow there wouldn't be severe consequences, George. Yeah, I think so. Um you know, he, he'd obviously been trying his luck, uh issuing video after video, and we were astonished 
that he was could just speak like this about the the top brass. After all, he was still working for them. He was under contract to them, and that's the way um, he spoke about them. And um, you know, there's no question that once he has gone down this path of attacking the Russian government, the 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 leadership, and essentially spreading a message of defeatism. I mean, it was defeatism, demoralization. That mm-hmm. well. Yeah. How how different are you now from CNN, as Martin was saying? How different are you now from what the British government is saying? You're basically saying the same thing they are. I mean, you're just echoing their talking points. Uh, Russia's rubbish. Russia is being led by terrible people. Russia can't win this war. We're getting they're getting clobbered by uh, the Ukrainians. Ukrainians are much better fighters than the Russians. Well, he's now just sounds just like Michael McFall, and then you have to wonder well. Was there some point at which co- contact was made between Western intelligence services and um, Prigozhin? Mm. Hey, why don't you try something? This might be the right time. Well, one thing I can tell you that when um, going through the city, as this was go- in the city of Moscow, um, and talking to people and, and wa- observing people, one thing was absolutely sure that there was this profound hope that there would be no bloodshed, that no instability is something that people dread here. And that's one of the reasons why Vladimir Putin maintains his popularity. I think for reasons that Martin has already explored here, you know, you make hard decisions, you have political capital, you can expend it. Oh, it doesn't always make you look good. Okay. It's the more of the long-term outcome that is important here. But gentlemen, this story is far from over. I think we just going around the edges here because so much more can unfold and we're going to learn a lot more and we found out how a lot of disinformation works right in front of our eyes all right gentlemen that's all the time we have I want to thank my guests in marrakesh and in budapest and thank our viewers for watching us here at rt see you next time remember cross talk news